And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I'm joined today, as always, by The Athletic's senior writer, Chris Vanini. As a reminder, the rest of this feed is chock full of content. We had a accidental... Uh, second viewing screen, watch Andy, watch Max, watch Sam and Ari react to Maxion the other night, which was very entertaining. So I highly recommend checking it out. I'll also be joining Ari and Andy on the feed on Friday, as always, to pick games. So be sure to subscribe and listen to shows throughout the week with our pals. If you like us, leave us a review, rate, review, um, like, rate, review. What am I missing? Rate, Chris, what am I? subscribe, rate, and review. I was like, there's three things for podcasts, and I'm forgetting one of them. Anyway, hang out with us on the feed throughout the week, and you can hang out with me and Chris every Thursday here with Power Hour. Um, And I'm excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And because we have many alcohol-themed subtitles, if you get thirsty, just feel free to grab a cold one. Uh, This week's show, we're going to start... With the Power Five in true power hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds and it is time to move on to the next. We are going to start with the biggest story in college football, um, which unfortunately was the tragedy at the University of Virginia. On Wednesday, Virginia officially canceled its game against Coastal Carolina, originally scheduled for Saturday. After the shooting deaths of players Lavelle Davis, Deshaun Perry, and Devin Chandler, no decision has been made on the season finale against Virginia Tech next week in Blacksburg. Um, Obviously, you know, just continued thoughts and prayers to that community um, as the program and the players and the families of everyone affected continues to try to move forward. Running back Mike Hollins and another player were also shot Sunday night. They were all returning to campus from a class field trip. Holland survived, but remains hospitalized after being shot in the back. Um, Just, you know, just an absolutely horrible situation. I I completely understand why the University of Virginia is not ready to try to play a football game on Friday. Coastal Carolina also very understanding and um, accepting of that decision. Again, there's one game remaining, and we don't know if that game is going to be played against Virginia Tech, but Virginia Tech players have been pointing out that that doesn't matter. Um, it's just football. This is about something much bigger and that they may head to Charlottesville to spend time with their uh, pals and uh, colleagues and competitors at UVA if that game is not played. So that's the latest from Charlottesville from a football standpoint. Yeah, just absolutely heartbreaking, senseless, you know, we, we started to get some of the news on Sunday night into Monday morning. And just you kind of just couldn't believe it was real. To, this is something really basically unprecedented, I think, in the history of college football to have a situation like this. The, the suspected shooter, former uh, walk-on player, 
uh, Chris Jones Jr. arrested um, on Monday, denied bail on, on Tuesday during a court hearing. Um, so that's moving forward and just, yeah, just absolutely tragic. And um, just hope hope everybody with the Virginia football team, um, you know, can, can work through this. Yeah, so we'll continue to cover that on our site over at The Athletic. As developments continue to unfold, we'll have some insight from those on the ground as well. Transitioning back to more football-related topics that seem to pale in comparison, but um, ultimately do matter to people too. Um, Latest news from the college football playoff expansion front. The board of managers met on Wednesday, which is that's the presidents and the chancellors from the 10 football subdivision uh, bowl subdivision conferences and Notre Dame. They had the two main topics on the agenda were the Rose Bowl and revenue distribution and sharing. So they were not able to get to the finish line. Still probably um, a little bit of ways away from that. But there was a lot of conversation, I'm told, about the Rose Bowl and continuing conversations with them. What they're talking about right now is expanding the playoff early. So this is the existing contracts that they need, you know, the Rose Bowl to be willing to break. And so this is for 2024 and 2025, any decisions that are getting made. Everything else will start over with a new contract for 2026 and onward. On the revenue distribution front, I'm told that that was resolved there had been one or two power five leagues that wanted to change the way that the revenue was being distributed because, you know, as these conferences expand, um, you know, you're going to be slicing that pie further. And I'm told that there will be more uh, equitable division for different individual power five schools across the country, um, that it will there will be less disparities on that front. So really, the Rose Bowl remains the the main issue moving forward. And uh, they continue to run out of time. They've probably only got a few weeks left here where they can try to make this happen for 2024. Yeah, the, the revenue sharing. So we're not at a point yet where X number of teams get in the playoff. That conference gets X number of dollars. It's possible moving forward at 2026 and beyond. But if the playoff expands early, my understanding, right, Nicole, is that uh, that is not happening, at least up front. No, the the idea of matching it to or, or kind of mirroring what happens in the NCAA tournament, that I'm sure that will be on the table for right. 2026 and beyond. That's, that's a new contract issue. This is more what you're doing for those stopgap years here as they're trying to implement an expanded playoff sooner. I think the thinking is, okay, so, you know, if you do this for, let's say, 2025, Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC. If all the Power Five leagues are making the exact same as each other, schools in the SEC are going to be getting less than schools in the Pac-12, let's say, in the SEC. Like, Alabama has been in the playoff, who's who's carried the playoff, been part of it, would be making less than, say, Washington State because that league would have a smaller, you know, or they would have less people to divide it by. So that's really where this is coming from. So I think getting to a more equal point where, you know, the, the schools themselves are making comparable dollars is, is a step in the right direction. But yeah, I think that is a decision that's made for these two years. And then, you know, if you want to talk about like what the NCAA tournament does with tournament units. And so you get more money per the amount of teams that you send in and how far they go. That's something that would then, probably be on the table for for 2026 and the new contract yeah and and the rose bowl issue also is about 2024 25 if they can expand it early the rose bowl would like the guarantee of that 5 p.m eastern tv slot 
in the years that it has a semifinal. Two out of three years, the Rose Bowl is going to be a semifinal. It can be in its normal spot. But that third year when the Rose Bowl is a semifinal, that's a couple weeks after New Year's Day. The Rose Bowl saying, hey, we still want to have another game in that time slot to do something. That would go head-to-head with the other quarterfinals. You know, the Rose Bowl was a big reason we didn't get playoff expansion uh, or a playoff in the first place for a while. Now it is one of the issues holding up early expansion. Number three, uh, our first head coaching hire of the carousel is done, and that is Biff Pogge getting hired at Charlotte. Uh, he's, he's been kind of an associate head coach and assistant to Jim Harbaugh at Michigan the last couple of years. Uh, he was on the staff in 2016. Uh, joined him again last year, and, and it really has been credited a lot with getting that program in order, and you saw the big jump for Michigan last year when they win the Big Ten and make the playoff. Uh, he's from, he coaches in the Baltimore area, founded and led the St. Francis uh, Academy a High School uh, in Baltimore, where actually Blake Corum, who's on the Michigan team, played. Uh, he, he's got an interesting background. He's a former hedge fund guy who made a lot of money, then started a high school and in, in, in a football team and stuff like that. Um Interesting background for sure. Sounds like he's going to stay at Michigan uh, through the season, which is interesting considering, you know, transfer windows and stuff like that. We, we saw some early head coaching hires last year, and those coaches immediately got with their teams like Joey McGuire and Jim Mora. But uh, we'll have a press conference next week for Biff Pogge, which is coincidentally Ohio State week for Michigan, so it'll be a busy week for him. Uh, and speaking of Jim Mora, we are going to talk about UConn a little bit later we in the are. show. I'm just glad we have a college football coach named Biff. That's that's the the the, the memes we're going to get out of that are going to be great. I am looking forward to that. Number four, kind of in the coaching carousel news, West Virginia athletic director Shane Lyons is out. Uh, announced this week, he had been in the job since 2015. Uh, he's a West Virginia alumnus who had previously worked at at Alabama. I mean, you may be wondering, does that mean Neil Brown is going to get fired at West Virginia? We don't know yet. Uh, Gordon Gee, the president, remember him? Gordon Gee from Ohio State back in the day. He is the president at West Virginia. He says uh, no football changes are coming for the next few weeks. He's going to let a new athletic director review the program and go from there. Lions will be getting a buyout of about a million. Neil Brown's buyout is about $17 million, and that's basically the big issue is that Neil Brown was given a big contract with a big buyout that West Virginia may or may not be able to pay right now. Um, And that was part of the reason Shane Lyons was let go. Very curious to see um, sort of what this means for places. We saw Georgia Tech ousted the head coach and the athletic director. You know, are more athletic directors going to be held accountable for some of the contracts they are agreeing to or extensions that they are agreeing to? Yet, although we still have Ray Anderson is still in. Yes, we're going to get into that more later, too. Arizona State. Yeah, we will go through some of those as we get into In the Rocks later in the show. But definitely interested to see about the role of an athletic director and a head coach on a hot seat. Yes. And number five, uh, the group of five picture is now basically set, we think, for the New Year's Six. UCF beat Tulane last weekend, took control of the AAC, the American, took control of the group of five. Um, they, the Knights rushed for 336 yards on the win. John Rice Plumley, who I wrote about this week, had 176 yards on the ground. UCF is all but assured a spot in the American Championship game now. They finish with Navy and USF. It's likely they will play the winner of Tulane versus Cincinnati uh, on, on the final regular season weekend 
but UCF beat both those teams. So, so UCF is in the pole position right now for the Cotton Bowl spot uh, out of the New Year's Six. So conference title matchups are getting set pretty soon. And there's no group of five team in the playoff conversation this year, but that's still a pretty big spot. And UCF is uh, now in control of it. Yeah, and it's most years since uh, in the playoff era, it has gone to someone in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, looks like that streak is going to stay there. There's been the Mountain West. You've also had the MAC, but most years it is the American. Um, okay, speaking of some of the teams that are having great seasons, positioning themselves for conference championship games, just generally things are good things are content people are happy let's go to happy hour this is where we spotlight a couple stories that we really are excited about that we enjoy uh on the college football front and let's start with jim mora let's start with uconn this was a program that made an early hire last year in the cycle and as it turns out worked out beautifully so far uconn is already bowl eligible after beating liberty and I wonder how shocked you are, Chris. I mean, you cover UConn probably closer than anyone on the national scene. Did you see this coming? Bowl eligibility, year one for Jim Mora. Not in year one. I, I, I talked to Mora in the spring about the team. And, you know, he, you know when, he, when he got hired, he got hired again. Yeah, during last season. And he spent some time with the team while Lou Spanos was coaching them as the interim head coach last year. And a lot of people kind of, rolled their eyes at the hire. Oh, it's a retread. Somebody who flamed out at another school got hired again. But Jim Mora had a winning record at UCLA. He had a pretty good run. And until this year, he had done a better job at UCLA than Chip Kelly's been doing. So it wasn't a disaster of a tenure at UCLA by any means. He did a pretty decent job. And he maintained when he got this job, he said, look, when I was at UCLA, I had young kids. It was, it was, it was, you know, my first time being a college coach. I had to figure out a lot and and things didn't quite go well. Now my kids are out of the house. I live four minutes from campus. Like it's, it's real. I'm really all in on this job and here they are. Like, don't remember like 2018, UConn had the worst defense in the history of college football. Probably they didn't play in 2020 because of COVID. Randy Edsel quit early last season uh, so they played almost the entire season with inter- interim head coach. This program has been through a lot. They won seven games over four years, and now they're six and five. They beat Boston College. They beat UMass, some local rivals. This is the kind of season and turnaround that gives every fan hope to believe that you're one season or one coaching hire away from becoming respectable again. It's really cool. We did a story together last year about the hardest jobs in college football. And I'm trying to figure out where we had Connecticut. You know what? Were they number one? No, they were number one. I don't think it was number one. I think UMass had to be number one. No, nope. I'm looking at it right now. They were number one. 115 points. Uh, they UMass got more first place votes mm. and Vanderbilt did as well as being harder individual jobs. But in aggregate, because we let people rank one to five, a lot of votes and total points for for UConn. I mean, it's it's hard to be independent. It's hard to be in that region when you think about recruiting and, and your your footprint. So I, I think that it is just another point to make about how hard this job is, how hard it is to turn anything around in year one. 
And just a shout out to UConn. I mean, this is a remarkable season. We've gotten to celebrate the Kansases of the world becoming bowl eligible. UConn getting there is another one where these are fan bases that exist, that care about their teams, and have not had a lot to be celebratory about in recent years. Yeah, uh, don't say online that you think UConn football should join Conference USA because they don't think so, and they will let you know that. <laughs> I've written that multiple times. Uh, they say they don't want to, so they're not going to. Uh, <laughs> there is definitely an online UConn football fan base. It, it really does exist. Uh, one other note, they are bowl eligible, but not guaranteed a bowl yet because they're not in a conference, and you conferences have tie-ins to these bowl games. Um, getting seven wins if they can beat Army would help, uh, but we won't know for sure yet if they are in a bowl game. It depends how many slots are filled, how many eligible 6-6 six and six teams they are, but you do hope that UConn, for, for a turnaround season like this, can find a spot somewhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Another happy hour team we want to spotlight is Florida State. I feel like this is a team, despite being Florida State, despite people talking about the Knowles, I don't think people are talking about the Knowles enough. This is a program that has been pretty down has cycled through a couple of different coaches Jimbo Fisher did not leave it in a great place and Mike Norvell has done a really nice job this season I don't think people realize how well this team is playing they're seven and three they are ranked I think they're up to what are they up to now 18 they are Somewhere up in the top to 10? 19 19 so they're in the top 20 um, and, and they're just like a very solid team. You know, Alex Adkins is the offensive line coach. And I think that that is one of the areas you absolutely need to spotlight because for years we've been saying, how come they don't have a better offensive line? They're not keeping their quarterback upright. And this year you see the development there. You see the growth at the quarterback position. You see the key transfers and it's all coming together. And this is exactly, you know, what you want to see if you're a Florida state fan and, 
you can just feel like the program taking that next step. Like you can feel the consistency that's there. And obviously they had that big season opening win over LSU, which continues to look better and better. But I just think in general, like this is just a, a really important season for, for Norvell, really important season for what they're building in that program. And they've made that step. Yeah, like th- this was maybe a hot seat job coming into the year. The reality was, though, that Florida State really, really, really wanted Mike Norvell to show progress this year because they didn't want to have to buy out another coach and try to figure out where the money was. They're still paying Willie Taggart from firing him several years ago. So they did not want to be in a position to have to buy out another coach. But I visited them late in the spring, and everybody felt like they were going to make the progress that they needed to make. Maybe not win the ACC, but they were going to make a bowl game. They were going to be in a comfortable position. And it was going to be enough progress where they weren't going to need to make another coaching change. And to your point about the offensive line, like they it's not that they've been like bad on the offensive line. They have been so bad for so long, like among the worst in the entire country. Coming into the season, they had been outside the top 95 in sacks allowed per game every year since 2015. That's going back to Jimbo's tenure. 2015, they've been among the worst at protecting the quarterback. This year, they're 40th. Like, that's a humongous jump. That's where this starts. And the other part, Jordan Travis has been a very good quarterback. They're finally making the explosive plays uh, that they lacked. Last year, they were 85th in plays of 30-plus yards, 97th in passing plays. Now they're 28th overall and 42nd in passing plays. Like, like this team is clearly moving in the right direction. Their hit rate on the transfers is very, very good. We remember Jermaine Johnson last year. This year they've got Trey Benson, the running back from Oregon. Johnny Wilson, the the receiver from Arizona State. Jared Verse, the defensive end from Albany. So, yeah, Florida State, top 20 right now. That's that's a step up. This is is already their most wins in a season since 2017. Bowl eligible the first time since 2019. They have been bad for a lot longer, I think, than we remembered. Yes, absolutely, and they deserve – they deserve credit for this. They deserve for the improvements that they've had um, at, you know, very key position. And again, to your point about, you know, when you, when you start over with different coaches have very, very short tenures, um, you know, a, it's, it's really hard from a recruiting standpoint, but also system and everything else, culture, all of those things continue to change. And uh, they look like they got something building there at Florida State. So there's some positive ACC news. We focused a lot on Clemson and, and now starting to zero in a little bit on North Carolina because they will play for the ACC title. Um, and they moved up a little bit in the college football playoff rankings too. But Florida State deserves some shine. Okay, let's go to our On the Rocks segment. It's time to talk it out. There is some friction somewhere in the sport and we are here to help work through it. This week's Rocky relationship starts at West Virginia. And I want to talk about it a little bit more because we've seen it a couple of times now. Georgia Tech, you saw at Auburn athletic direct, making a change at the athletic director position before firing a coach. Um, we haven't seen it at Arizona State, which a lot of people did expect because they did not think that um, they didn't think that you know Ray Anderson should necessarily get to make a hire after going really outside of the box, hiring his buddy, it not working out, but he is still in that position for the time being. 
Uh, Chris, I wonder, like, do you think that this is something that more and more people are going to do? Is it a cop out? Is it something that does make sense because it holds people accountable for for extensions or hires that maybe they shouldn't have made? I mean, where do you where do you land on this? Athletic directors are such weird jobs at the moment because they handle so much. There are often 25 plus different sports, all kinds of people below you. There's a lot of things on your plate at any time. You and I have experienced many times, hey, we want to talk to an AD about something and, oh, they're in the middle of, you know, trying to find a volleyball coach or something like that. And that's like taking up a lot of their time. And, and that stuff matters. However, they're generally only judged on whether or not they make the right hire for a football coach. That is basically the only thing that matters because that is the thing that brings in all the money. And so if you have an AD who gives a bad extension or hires a few coaches who don't work out, they're not going to survive no matter what else is going on. Revenue could be great. Academics could be great. Ultimately, are you winning in football is all that matters at a lot of these jobs. And so you're seeing changes at Georgia Tech, at Auburn, at West Virginia, and Arizona State, maybe, maybe not. Nobody's really sure exactly still who's running that search. And so there's there's nothing like this in the business world. This is why college sports is so weird. You basically spend two weeks or so to give somebody $5 million, the highest paid public employee in the state, and that's all the background research you're able to do unless you fire a coach a little bit earlier, and that's it. And, like, so much is put into such a small amount of time. College, The college business model... Doesn't make any sense, but it never really has. Right. And, you know, we've been talking a lot on this feed and elsewhere about Jimbo Fisher's contract in some of these decisions. And I understand that there's trustees and there's other people involved in putting pressure on people to agree to contracts. And it's not just the agent like saying, hey, we want you to guarantee a 10 year deal. And the athletic director saying, sure, we'd love to volunteer all of that money. <laughs> That's not how this works. Like there are pressure points. There are people who are worried about losing a candidate to another school. Um, and, you know, y- you agree to things for a certain reason. But I do think that this all speaks to the broken system, which is, you know, the fact that it's normalized to pay, you know, $20 million buyouts now and things like that. And that just, um, and you know, offer these, these long-term guaranteed contracts. Um, cause then you do, you do need someone to blame, right? And you know, you, you, you need something to signal someone to do something, or you just decide in this particular situation, talking about West Virginia, that you don't want that person to make the next hire. So you have to do this scramble now to hire an athletic director who then, you know, in this statement from Gordon Gee, said the first thing he will do will be evaluate the state of the, the, the football staff and the football program. So you could still be immediately hiring an AD to then immediately fire a coach, um, which it, it's on the table. So again, it's like this whole system is broken and everyone needs to signal change, make changes, um, believe that the next guy is going to hire the home run coach. It's, it's all, it's all broken. And it's just, there's a lot of, a lot of money in the system, a lot of dead money in the system. And, and what did we just mention? We talked about UConn and we talked about Kansas, who have turned things around in one year and two years. So th- there, there is reason to believe that you are one good hire away from turning things around. That's why coaches are going to get fired, continue to get fired quicker than ever, and the ADs often go with them. You only get so many chances. And, and it, 
a lot of times you a lot of times you try to pair these things up. You fire the AD and the coach, so the AD can get their own guy in there, make their own evaluation, and so they're held accountable for their hire. And you kind of pair these things together. Again, it's not how any place in the business world works. If you were going to give somebody five million dollars to be a coach, you would spend more than two weeks uh, vetting them. But because we've got first, it used to be the the winter dead period. Then it was the early signing period, and now it's the transfer windows. Coaching changes and hires are now going to happen even quicker. So West Virginia may want to get that new AD in pretty quickly. Yeah, so there, there's obviously a number of schools that you're tracking on because you do job profiles for every open FBS job. Um, so I know some of these you write in advance just in case uh, as things get hotter for <laughs> yes. a hot seat. Yes. Um, but run us through some of the, the jobs or schools that could still make a change, what you're expecting, what might be needed to save some jobs. Yeah, we, we've had a lot of changes already, as we know, um, and we already even made a hire, but, but there still are going to be hires and, and fires made, firings made at the end of the season, as is typically the case in what is often Black Sunday, now the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And starting at the Power Five, it, it starts right there with West Virginia. You know, people wonder... What's the AD going to come in and decide, you know, can West Virginia afford a $17 million buyout? Like this isn't like SEC type of money like we've seen at Auburn and South Carolina in the past. Waiting and seeing on that. That's really the biggest Power 5 one. Louisville seems to have righted the ship. Uh, They won a number of games in a row just when it seemed like Scott Satterfield might be fired. He's now bowl eligible. Uh, is that enough to hold on? It may depend maybe on how the rest of the season goes, but a lot of people for a long time have been wondering, does that job open and does Jeff Brom go back home to Louisville? We'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, also at the Power 5 level, uh, Stanford and Cal for different reasons. Um, Stanford just, it hasn't been working. Like what David Shaw did there was remarkable, but... You're going on several years now of not being bowl eligible. I think this might be four years in a row. Things are not right there. And it's not that David Shaw is going to be fired, but does he decide to step away and do something else? It's just it's something that people around the coaching profession in, in the industry have wondered, um, is that something that could happen, something to watch for in the next couple of weeks? And then Cal made a, made a change at um, – Offense coordinator and I think offensive line coach this week. Uh, some assistant changes for Justin Wilcox there. Is that enough to give him another year? Uh, we will see. And then at the group of five level, Texas State, uh, Jake Spavadol feels like it's probably done. Um, it hasn't worked out. His, his, his big jump into the transfer portal hasn't really worked out. A couple others, uh, Rice, can Mike Bloomgren get bowl eligible? They're five and five this year. He's in his fifth season, has not gone to a bowl game yet. Going to depend on how the season ends. Tulsa, uh, Philip Montgomery uh, went to a bowl last year, but this year they're, I think, 3-7. and seven. Uh, Tough job there, but it, it's one people are waiting to see if something happens. Western Michigan, similar. They've been solid for a number of years, but but not good this year. Uh, Memphis, Ryan Silverfield, probably bowl eligible, but is it enough? Memphis should be higher in the New American. We'll see. And then maybe North Texas. People keep thinking about North Texas, but they're probably going to be in the Conference USA Championship game. So we will see. That's a number of jobs still to watch. There'll be a lot happening uh, Thanksgiving weekend as, as usual with the coaching changes. 
Yep, and uh, for anyone listening who's not already following Chris, you should. He will break down all of these jobs. And it's not just always a candidate list. I, I think that one of the things you do really well, Chris, is all the context, right? Like the facilities, the support, um, where a, a head coach's salary or a salary pool relates compared to other conference, other teams in the conference, um, resources, recruiting areas, all of that go into these pictures. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we wrap up today here on Power Hour, we're going to go to our last call. We cheers or jeers. So basically, whatever you would want to do at a bar, you're getting last round before closing. And, you know, maybe you just want to celebrate something one last time. You want to cheers to it. Maybe you want to rant and rave and um, jeer something because, you know, you're you're frustrated with something. And I'm going to go first, Chris, because I, I am frustrated. I think you're you have a more positive one. So I'm going to let <laughs> yes. you end on a positive note. OK, so we're recording this on a Wednesday and Tuesday night was the week of the year where the college football playoff selection committee show, a made-for-TV TV event, was delayed because they put it, they sandwiched it right in between the two basketball games for the Champions Classic. And the first game went to double overtime. It was a good game until Oscar Shibwe fouled out, and then it got less interesting. But, you know, it was it was fine, right? It was, it was a great game. And you have all these college football viewers who just want to know what the rankings are, which... By the way, it's not even that interesting of a week. Everybody except Oregon had won at the top, so you knew that what it was pretty much going to look like. But, you know, for our jobs and for college football fans, everyone likes to see where the rankings are, what did they check in, what does the committee chair, Boot Corrigan, have to say, all of, all of the above. And it was annoying to have to wait until, usually until at least 9 o'clock Eastern, then you have the double overtime. So you're kind of rooting against having a good basketball game because you want to see this. And then if you're a basketball fan, you're annoyed that there's college football things that keep infiltrating the broadcast, like Dick Vitale's top four. Do you need that? Do you need that? Then great game ends. And then the entire intermission between the two games is college football and the selection show. I get why they do it. I get it for ratings. I really do. It is a TV event. This underscores how much of a TV event it is. But I like to pretend that there's actual information gleaned. I like to think that we are learning about the selection committee, seeing what they value, listening to Boo Corrigan for information. If we're going to have all of these weekly college football playoff ranking shows, 
I would like to get something out of them. And when it's being shoehorned in, you're not even sure what time it is. It just, it's so frustrating. And I just think it would be a better experience for everyone involved if you just move things up, like do it at six o'clock. Do it at 6.30 and then do the basketball games. Just just let people experience these things separately instead of essentially pissing everybody off because the basketball fans who don't want to watch a football selection show now have to. And then the people who want to check in for the football show don't even know what time it is. So then you're rooting against the good basketball game. It just doesn't work. And I just do it before. That would be the best if people could just do that. Here's the thing. I, 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 I get it in general, but one, that was a good, it was a good game. It, it was a good basketball game, like double overtime, Michigan State, Kentucky. Like it was just, it was entertaining. There were, it was, it was close. I, I, I didn't mind it as much. Maybe it's because I went to Michigan State and I was interested in how the basketball team was doing. But uh, the, the, and the other part was we knew what the, rankings were going to be there was nothing surprising in these rankings so i i um <laughs> I, I i enjoyed people complaining but um i don't know i didn't i didn't mind it so much it, it was different if we had like major changes coming to the rankings i don't know but i understand why everybody was um upset i am going to finish this one on a positive note and i'm going to give cheers to two people carlton marshall and jason henderson carlton marshall is now the fbs career tackles leader the Troy linebacker a former walk-on broke the record uh, in last week's game he surpassed uh, Tim McGarrigle's uh, previous record at Northwestern he now has passed the record of 545 and the number will continue to go up very cool very cool for, for Marshall to break that record just wanted to shout that out I do have to note though that Marshall is a five-year player uh, so he has done this in five. McGurgle did it in four. You're probably going to see a lot of career FBS records get broken you know, last year, this year, next year, because so many players got that extra COVID year. We've seen it in basketball a bit too. Um, it's going to just make records kind of wonky. Um, that was just one of the side effects of, you know, a pandemic and <laughs> everything we went through. But that was really cool for Carlton Marshall. The other tackle machine is Jason Henderson at Old Dominion. He is at 166 tackles on the year, leads the country, and Old Dominion's not going to a bowl, so they only have two games left. He's 27 tackles away from the uh, single-season tackles record. So no no asterisks or anything on this one. He, he's he's 27 tackles away if he can get it in two games. Won't be going to a bowl game. Uh, so that'll be something cool to watch. Also, he, I believe, is currently in first place, but he's also looking to break the the tackles per game record set by Luke Keekley at Boston College about a decade ago. So uh, if you haven't paid much attention to Old Dominion, Jason Henderson's a boss. Uh, he's just, again, a tackling machine to pay attention to. So just wanted to give my cheers to two, I guess, two Sunbelt players who have uh, broken or could break some tackles records. Those guys, uh, that, that's a lot of hits. Look, we, we know the physical damage of what it's like to make a tackle and for these guys to make so many that's a lot and just shout out the shout out to them they are some dudes absolutely i have some thoughts about the different asterisks and all the different records that are going to be set for a number of starts and yardage and all these things with everyone getting the covid year but i will save that for another day and another potential rant um so that will do it for this week's power hour 
Enjoy the games. Penultimate week of the regular season. Chris and I will be back next week. That will do it for this week's Power Hour. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 